Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. It's that special time of year once again, listeners, so sharpen those shears and power up your trimmers, because topiary hunting season begins today. As we all know, topiary grow wild in the summer and the population must be kept in check. In fact, Josh hit a topiary deer with his car the other night on the drive home, so stay safe and hedge your bets by keeping your emergency chainsaw in the vehicle all season. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Yo, constant readers. And today we are continuing our Patreon selection series with Aiden White's pick, The Shining, and we are reading through chapter 37 with CM leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Thanks, Wait, Jack. hold on. Oh. Hold on. <laughs> through ch- 37? Were we not just finishing the book? No. No. We're reading through part four. four part four okay. at the end, yeah. the last you chapter. You finished the book? I finished the fucking book. <laughs> oh, shit, Ben. That's better. Oh, than... no, that's fine. I'd, yeah. I'm my head. When, uh, when we, this when never we... happens. <laughs> um, yeah, where, where do we cut off? We end with the clock. Because, boy, some crazy yeah, stuff we happens. We end with the lobby, the clock stuff. Okay. Yeah, when he, yeah, for, that's a good place when he finally shines for dick. <laughs> oh, no. No. That's the... That's the what he does. He sh- she sh- uh, we'll he get sure it. does. Oh. Uh, thanks, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to quickly recap the story that we've covered so far, even though there's no point because it's The Shining. We are with <laughs> we are with the Torrance family, Jack, Wendy, and their five year old son Danny at the Overlook Hotel, where Jack is the winter caretaker. We've had a pretty emotional ride so far with Jack. He's a very complicated character, and Danny has the shine, which makes him vulnerable to some things that other people might not pick up on, spooky things, and at this point, it's not too late because the roads are open, they aren't snowed in, (laughs) there is hope, but we're going to catch back up with everyone at the Sidewinder Public Library. Jack is digging into the history of the Overlook, and I'm curious if you two felt the same or differently about this. For me, from this point on, it seems like any insights that Jack had into his own character, any desire that he had shown to want to embrace the better part of himself, mm-hmm. all of that seems gone. It is definitely fading. It's around this point where Jack makes a really crucial switch, mm-hmm. which is up to this point, we've been very sympathetic towards Jack because he is deeply flawed, but it has been first and foremost that he wants to change. Mm-hmm. And it is around this point where it switches from that to usually he is just a bastard who occasionally thinks, boy, I wish I was better than this. There is one point later on here that he, I think, really is the last time that Jack is fully in control of Jack, but we'll get to it. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This is the way he talks to Wendy in his head when she comes mm-hmm. down, because he's going through microfiche of stuff that hasn't been digitized, the Overlook, and she's just checking in on him, and he's in his head, he's like, oh, that dumb bitch. I wish she would stop coming and bothering mm-hmm. me. Nag, nag, nag. You know what? She drove me to drink. And you're like, god damn, dude. Dial it back. The the ease at which he justifies all of his 
absolute jackassery mm. because as soon as he snaps at Wendy, he recognizes, fuck, I lost my temper again, Jack. He, it is not because he doesn't have control of himself and desperately needs therapy. <laughs> it's because the, the lens on the microfiche is warped and he has a headache. Okay, yes. But, I mean, this is a, completely not in the subtext or anything of the description. I Part of me was wondering because he, she gives him some aspirin and he knows the aspirin's not going to work. The only thing that'll work is Excedrin. And that's what he, he used to say that takes mm-hmm. care of hangovers. It's the God's creation or God's uh, tool for destroying a hangover. And I'm wondering if he's not actually, the headache isn't the lens it's the hotel mm-hmm. giving him a hangover. Well, that's very possible, but regardless, a headache isn't a reason to <laughs> scream at your wife. <laughs> yes. But the fact that he so easily excuses his outbursts mm-hmm. by saying, well, of course, that I, I had a really bad headache. It, it's slowly, no, pretty quickly mm-hmm. erodes the goodwill I had for Jack mm-hmm. in the first portion of this book. Mm-hmm. From here on out, it is all emotional abuse and gaslighting. It's, mm. Oh, it's yeah. uh, it's within the first few paragraphs of this scene that Jack is thinking about how Wendy, again, with her normal human questions that anybody would ask anyone else, is prying like she used to when she would drive him to drink with her perfectly reasonable questions like, "Hey, where are you going? Do you have money on you? When will you be back?" Are you going with Al? Will one of you stay sober? I think those are all okay Very questions. Very reasonable questions. But to him, it, it becomes this nag, nag, nag thing. Also, can we just talk about the Excedrin thing? Is there something more to this? It's very... It seems very important. I, I was going to actually look it up, and I never did. So <laughs> why am I bringing it up now? I wanted to look up, does Excedrin have, like, side effects? Because he, from this point on, is basically overdosing on Excedrin for the rest of the book. Like, he pops them like uh, mints. He chews them. And he chews mm-hmm. them. And that, first of all, can't be good for your so liver. Gross. Or your mouth. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has to be terrible for mm-hmm. you. But I was like, I oh, don't know, maybe if that, maybe that's a, a hint. Like, in real life, if you <laughs> eat Excedrin like this, it gives hallucinations or something. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell if it's just another symptom of him being drunk on the overlook or if it is if it's supposed if it's more important than that. And I don't know yet. So Jack makes his way down to the drugstore because Wendy didn't have Excedrin. She only had regular aspirin. Not just to get some Excedrin, but to make a phone call that I did not and would never have expected him to make. And I was really unprepared. <laughs> For what he does in this conversation, it was just so plunging right down into it instantly. Let's talk about who he calls and how that goes. It's so pointless what he does. He calls Ullman and Ullman immediately is like, what the fuck is wrong? You should not be calling me unless something is on fire. What is wrong? And Jack needles him saying, I found this this notebook in the basement, and here are all of the crimes of the hotel, and starts listing off all of the terrible things he has found out about that Ullman didn't tell him. 
Which is, <laughs> Omen's response is perfectly reasonable. Yes. He's listing off these murders and he's like, yeah, I didn't think that would interfere with you turning the heat on. <laughs> right. You're not going to give somebody like a blow by blow of everything that's ever happened in this hotel. Yeah. It, Omen, very right. Like, Omen is a prick. Every mm-hmm. single character in the book is like, yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> but he says in this, uh, he basically says, who is, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. You're, you're the winter caretaker. And uh, normally in my real life, if any middle management said that, I would instantly be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, <laughs> right. he totally has, he's totally has a point. See, Jack made us side with Ullman. That's Jack. the true crime of this book. <laughs> right? What makes it worse is that it is, it is pointless because the needling is about not only I know this stuff, but maybe I'll write a book, which telling Ullman that is your first mistake. But mm. even later, he he's talking about trying to that he really wanted to find out who the book belonged to. And he realizes I could have called Watson. He would be the person who would actually know and wouldn't flip shit if I said all these things. But no, I just wanted to poke the bear. This is the first of a few times that something like this happens in this section, I hope, this section, (laughs) where a a small detail will be overlooked and then thought of later Hmm. to be like, if he had thought about it for a second in the moment, he would have realized when Ullman, Ullman didn't even take him down to the cellar. He acted like it was a, a different place it wasn't his yeah yeah, purview so why would he know what this uh, fucking yeah thing is well and he thinks oh great i just possibly closed off all avenues of connecting to other Mm -hmm. people for research for the book because he's going to call people and say don't talk to this psychopath but we know why he did it because he wanted revenge oh yeah because Because he's a petty asshole (laughs) because ullman had to as the person hiring someone had to discuss important things about that person's professional and personal history, which, again, makes sense. And he was omen about it, but he wasn't like a dick about it. He mm. he wasn't unnecessarily cruel. He didn't give Jack shit. He was just very matter of fact. Like, mm-hmm. you did this and this, and this worries me because of this. But Jack it is just kind of gone off the deep end with it. And Ullman is telling him, if I wasn't 100% sure that it wouldn't (laughs) cost me my job, Mm -hmm. because I am 95% sure it wouldn't, but that 5%, I didn't know for sure I would fire you on the spot. In fact, I'm going to have to call Al after this. That kind of makes me like Ullman a little. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. He's like, listen, I'm really good at my job, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not going to risk it for your dumb ass, (laughs) even if it's 5%. Yeah, he probably didn't get to where he's at by reacting to things mm. without thinking them through. And Jack is really fixated on this Derwent business, this person who had owned the hotel, and he's just trying to get at something, which which will continue on with Al when he talks to him in a little bit. But Jack himself thinks, what was I doing? Why did I do that? Was I trying to get fired? And so that kind of left me with this question, was, was that a cry for help or was that just this thing taking over in him so at one point he says that basically Wendy has always accused him of being self-destructive in everything he does, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the guts to do something about it himself. So he, you know, picks fights above his weight class yeah, with people who can actually hurt him. And he pokes them, which we talked about it in part one. Jack Torrance is the victim in every scenario mm-hmm. because he picked the fight and then the 
then he lost. <laughs> yeah. So he's the, the victim. The consequences of his actions yes. are attacks. Yes. Uh, to him, which is the 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 fucking relevance <laughs> of this goddamn story is shocking. Shockingly timeless. <laughs> Shockingly timeless. The uh, fucking toxic masculinity of jack torrance someone's (laughs) written a paper i'm sure oh yeah i do love the idea that this could be this time the poking is a his subconscious being like it's dangerous get fired get the fuck out of Mm -hmm. there you'll figure it out that is nice to think about because i do think as we get less and less of what i like to think of as the real jack torrance Mm -hmm. those moments are more desperate Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get the, into this until next episode. All right, Ben, we get it. You read the rest of the book. I have to brag. <laughs> I'm ahead of both of you. I'm the leader of the podcast right now. We should have a, like a belt or something. <laughs> I do love that. At any point during the podcast, one of us can just leap across the table and start wrestling. Um, I have some major issues with the idea of the real Jack Torrance. Oh, all right. Once again, it won't be until the end of the book. Oh, I have uh, some feelings about what you want to talk about. Yeah. (laughs) You, I feel like the listeners must feel. (laughs) (laughs) That's why so many people don't listen to episodes when they haven't read the book. They don't want to feel like CM. (laughs) I see him right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. What an offensively I'm broad so, statement. I'm so That's sorry. Same thing to say. I'm so sorry. That is not how I meant it. <laughs> you know, I Ben, to... I miss the real Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay, so. What were we talking about? <laughs> Ullman says something about his hotel, and Jack ends the call by screaming, It's not your hotel. Insanely creepy. He hangs up on him on those words. And now we are getting another Night Thoughts chapter. So Jack is laying in bed with Wendy, and he has increasingly cooling feelings toward his family. (laughs) (laughs) Running down his legs. (laughs) Um, I I love the opening of this chapter, Mm -hmm. just the way it describes that their quarters were, I don't have the exact line in front of me, but their quarters were full of feigned sleep or something like that. Because all three of them, as the chapter goes on, are thinking about and are listening to the other members of their family sleeping, mm-hmm. but we know that they're <laughs> None not. None of them are. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In Jack's night thoughts, we find out that Al gave him a call earlier that evening, which is a very rough call to listen to because this is where we get Jack explaining, like, I'm just a baby, and he embarrassed <laughs> he embarrassed me, so I wanted to poke him back. And he he himself at one point thinks I've been embarrassed by worse, like. I've been embarrassed by masters of embarrassment, <laughs> and mostly they were myself and my own actions. We don't really get that insight again after this. But Al confronts Jack, and he's baffled, and, and like you said earlier, wondering why everyone is picking on him. First Ullman, Wendy, now Al. But he's always hated that cheap prick anyway. So he instantly, instantly turns. Do you guys want to talk about this conversation? <laughs> the conversation with Al Shockley is very interesting to me because everything we've gotten about Al is supportive up to this point. Because this Jack has kind of a revered look at Al at the start because he tried to save his job. You know, they got sober together. There are all these things. And then this is where he starts 
talking about like, yeah, he was my friend, but he always had way more money. And of course, like this rich guy can get away with all this mm. stuff. And he like throws that privilege in his face during this conversation. And Al accept like he reacts to that very well. <laughs> Al's working the steps. He is. Al's yeah. doing his best. Like he even says that sobriety is starting to feel really good right now. And they're like, what, 20 months yeah. at this point? So uh, that that throwaway after Jack is is seething internally and all he can say in reply to something is like, yes. And then just like as a throwaway, Al, because he thinks that they're still friends, tries to get them to be like, hey, how you doing? I'm feeling really good. It feels like a kick in the side hmm. in the moment as Jack. It's rough. Because you also know as a reader how genuine that is. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just a friend looking out for his friend after the friend did something pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah, we we find out that Al saved his job before mm-hmm. he got into the fight with George, mm-hmm. before he assaulted George, I should say. And he, ha- he basically says, look, man, if you're going to fire me, uh, go ahead. Let's, let's get it over with. I got to figure something out. And Al says, you can keep your job on two conditions. And Jack's like, yep. <laughs> like don't care what they are i can't afford the one of the few times that jack is saying I, my pride can't get in the way of whatever these conditions are and the conditions are do not call Olman ever again <laughs> and don't write the book ever jack is not okay with that no no he sure pretends to be okay with it for a bit barely sort of this is when al tries to change the subject mm-hmm. to you know like hey man how are you doing i'm doing good and can barely even follow that train of thought before Jack's like, hey, man, uh, sorry, I got to go. Wendy's calling me. It's just so sad. It's And it's such a reasonable thing to say because Jack's defense is, oh, I wouldn't write about the Overlook in like way down the line. I've got other things. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. But he says it. And Al says, what is down the line to you? I plan on being attached to the Overlook for the next 30 years. If even if you wait nine, you're still trashing my business. This just shows you where Jack's brain is at too because on the call with Ullman, Jack is trying to figure out who these shareholders are if Derwent still owns the property mm-hmm. and he's tells him that Al owns like the biggest chunk red flag like <laughs> that means that Al is financially really into this and it's his baby and you can't threaten it so also he's super evasive about the Derwent comment which leads me to believe there's <laughs> but here's the thing it's fucking irrelevant. It absolutely I was irrelevant. Ask, what does it mean? It doesn't matter because for the rest of the book, Jack's obsession with the hotel grows and grows and mm-hmm. grows. And he keeps thinking, like, if I keep looking, I will find the hidden piece that will make it all make sense. And it centers around this Derwent guy. What meaningful information can he glean from knowing this guy still owns the I hotel. don't understand Nothing. what puzzle it's he is putting together exactly. <laughs> because I don't think there is one it, it is just ju- just chaos that he has built up to be the this super important thing something I, to fixate on to distract you from doing real work I what I think is that his obsession is so complete it is turning to that point that, you know, when you 
find something new that you become a big fan of and you want to devour every piece of information that there is about that. Yeah. He's in that in that mm-hmm. phase. And the idea that the Overlook has something he can't know or doesn't know is what's driving him. He wants to know every single thing. He wants to. It's like he wants to be the Overlook. I would, yeah. Like he's obsessed. If he this is to, mm-hmm. this place is mine, I deserve to know who owns it. Which is a very weird sentence to say. Yeah, no, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. All right, so Jack ends this phone call. And before we flip over to see what Danny's thinking of, Jack doubles over in pain. His head is throbbing and his stomach is aching. And we get this line. It's very creepy. The moving wasps, having stun, moves on. And yep. there's there's more wasp things later, too, mm-hmm. that aren't explained yet. So I'm just waiting for that. Um, And Wendy's laying in bed thinking about Jack's symptoms and comparing him to the boiler. She wishes that he would just lose his temper to blow off steam, like when he goes down to dump the boiler. I wish I wish that line wasn't in the book, just because I think King has done such an incredible job of at every turn saying Jack is the boiler Mm -hmm. Uh, and having it kind of spelled out for us here. I was almost like, oh, because it was I've loved all of those little similarities. Taking it back a little bit to the payphone conversation, when he's yelling at Ullman, he makes a comment about his head feeling better because mm-hmm. he took all that Excedrin. And my, the the first thing I thought of was, it's not the Excedrin, you're letting off steam. You're, you're dumping the boiler in your head so you feel better. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. <laughs> so now we are with Danny's night thoughts. And he's thinking about how worried he is and he wants to tell his mom what's going on, but he's scared that she won't believe him or that she'll think he's crazy because of, you know, he knows that the doctor found a way to explain away what's going on. Uh, Is this where we get the story of Stegner, Mr. Stegner? (laughs) This goddamn Scotty at at Jack's or at at Danny's daycare is Giving him, he's the kid you don't want your kid talking to. You're like, God, I just want to explain that to you when you're old enough. <laughs> and now it's too late. Yeah, this yeah, is he, it. He uh, thinks about how the the previous year, a uh, year before, <sighs> student that went to his school, something happened with his dad. And in the way that small children at school learn information, <laughs> he learned kind of the, the <laughs> yeah. uh, stretch of the truth. Things like... Uh, the kid's dad, what, ate a bunch of grass or something. <laughs> there were like, a bunch of those yeah. rumors. Yeah, a bunch the point of was very childish. He couldn't childish. stop crying and he lost his marbles. Mm-hmm. And yes. he's like, God. And the men in white coats. He's so upset about his marbles being lost. That's so sad. And Scotty's like, you idiot. What has happened <laughs> that, to Scotty? <laughs> that's such a powerful, like, thought, though. Mm-hmm. That is such a childlike fear of hearing about someone who starts crying and never stops. Mm -hmm. That is such a powerful image. And you know, as an adult, like, well, obviously it's not like for, but a five-year-old hearing that Mm -hmm. is very scary. I would have believed it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Absolutely. It's one of those thoughts that like, I can see that becoming a like cornerstone in Mm -hmm. a kid's like whole persona. Yeah. It makes sense. That's a moment that has changed his life forever. Yeah. It makes me actually, this was one of the moments that that made me kind of excited to read Dr. Sleep. Because I want to know how How much. (laughs) I'm so excited to read it. It's been selected. People, Patreon Patreon listener has selected it. It's coming up. Oh, has it? Yes. Oh, is this a exclusive? Because this is news to me. (laughs) 
The whole list is on our website, oh, constantreaders.org, yeah. for the list of all coming books. <laughs> all right. So Danny knows that things are getting worse and that when the snow comes, they're going to be trapped with whatever is at the overlook. And he's going to try to talk to Tony again tonight because he now he can read a little. So he's hoping that he can figure out what Tony was trying to show him with those signs and what red rum means. The next day, Wendy and Danny take a trip to Sidewinder, and the weather report is that winter is coming. Wendy asks, that would have been so cool, like, six years ago to say that line. (laughs) 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 Wendy asks Danny if he'd be happier if they left the Overlook, and this conversation is really heartbreaking because they're so close to maybe being okay and figuring it out, but there are a few things that are going to stand in the way of that happening. Yeah, this is one of two moments, I think, where the Torrances actually decide to fucking talk to each other, (laughs) like, fairly sincerely, and it is so hopeful, because you're like, yeah, do this. Mm -hmm. This is what you're supposed to be doing. If you all talk to each other, if you all knew how to talk to each other, I feel like this book would be a lot shorter (laughs) and less sad. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard because Danny, he has insights into Jack's feelings and thoughts, obviously, because of his abilities, that he shares with Wendy, but she doesn't understand the severity or the like the impact of them I guess because he's five and he can't really decipher these complex thoughts and emotions so his his knowledge of what his dad is going through is definitely a road a roadblock to that and the other one has to do with Wendy's mom I don't even know what to say about the idea that Danny just knows that grandma wants to take me away because she thinks I'd be better off with her and how grandma's the only one who thinks that. And she's she thinks of ways to get him away from yeah. Wendy. That's the part that freaked me out. Because at first it was like, yeah, that sucks and that's horrible. But I don't think she's going to try to kill you. Like, I think Jack <laughs> is going to. But it is so fucked. Because when you think about this book, you, you know, parental generational trauma mm-hmm. is like such a huge thing yeah. between Jack. <laughs> and you think Jack and his dad and Danny. But the whole thing with Wendy's parents, too, Mm -hmm. is so detailed and so equally damaging. Yeah. Because it we we get the insight through the this stuff that Wendy starts questioning herself because of this fear that she is her mother and that he's she she's jealous of Jack and their closeness which is not what's going on at all no she is so hard on herself mm-hmm. for none of that's right wendy yeah <laughs> the other thing i want to mention because this comes into play for jack later danny shares that jack's worried about what would happen to them if they left the overlook mm. you know where where they would go what they would do for money what he would do for a job, all of that stuff. And there's more, but it's all mixed up because he's different now. I I think it's this part that really fucked me up. This was, I think, the last point in the book where I felt sorry for Jack Torrance Mm -hmm. because he he has this fairly justified fear of leaving Mm -hmm. because they have nowhere to go. They have no prospects. Makes sense. It is all very scary and I can say from experience, when you are as horribly depressed as Jack Torrance is, um, because that's something that is only really touched on, is how fucking depressed he is. Mm-hmm. That, that like, doom feeling 
of like, it doesn't matter. Why I should just stay here in this awful position because of the possibility of things being bad in the future. At least you know what this is. Exactly. But there's this moment, maybe it's once he goes for the snowmobile, Mm -hmm. where he has the moment of like reason of being like, but maybe if, maybe if I do it, it'll be okay. And it's just not enough. Jack goes back and forth a lot throughout the rest of the parts we're going we're going to be covering. Mm. And the flips are so instantaneous. There's no more there's no pretense. There's no arguing or gradual decline of of thought where you think, oh no, he's gonna he's gonna lose that strength and that insight. It's just, yeah, no, we can do this, and then boom, in like the next paragraph. All of that is thrown out the window for like no it's crazy. It feels crazy and you feel crazy reading it. I love it. Oh, before we leave them too, I thought this was really also heartbreaking. Wendy tells, because Danny says dad's different now. And she's like, yes. And she wants to know if Tony thinks they're safe. And he's, Danny's trying to play it off. And she's like, hey, I believe you. I believe in Tony. I don't know if it's something inside of you that is Tony or something outside that you can connect to, but I believe you. Does he think we're safe? And this is where we find out that he has tried to talk to him and he can't hear Tony anymore. Not spooky at all. Yeah. So Wendy then asks if Jack's drinking again. So she's fully embraced this. Like now she's just point blank asking questions and he says no. And then he smothers the next two words behind his lips, which were not Not yet. yet. And she tells him Jack loves them. And he went through a kind of hell when he quit, which makes so much sense. And he's still going through it. And she feels like without them, he wouldn't have been able to do it. And basically, she's convincing herself, I think, that they have to stay in this situation because Jack needs them to, which is hard. In one of in like the first chapter we get with Wendy at the beginning of the book, she says that the it would take an outside force to break the family apart. Because they are so, they lean on each other so heavily and they, yeah, like they they need each other. Oh no, I missed that. <laughs> God, it's the overlook, isn't it? <laughs> Probably not important. Oh my God. So while Wendy and Danny are going into town, Jack is trimming the hedge animals. Because it's going to start snowing soon. Yes! There's rabbits, Unbelievable, dogs, this chapter. Lions, I fucking love it! Buffalo, and it. It's fun because Jack feels more sympathy for the hedge animals than he appears to feel towards his own wife (laughs) because he's thinking about how it's perverted to force a hedge into something that it isn't. And maybe he's showing sympathy to himself, too. Maybe he is the hedge animal. That is insanely deep. And I want to talk about it forever because that did not occur to me at all. But I love that idea that that is something deep in him that he's just I don't know, but what's the the phrase? Like pushing it onto something projecting. else. Yes, he's projecting that feeling that he's been carrying that inside him onto these topiary. Oh, that's fucking cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. Also, he's Jack only seems to pick jobs he hates and is bad at. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't like trimming hedge animals, but he had done that. And he apparently is bad at writing because <clears throat> we get so many comments throughout the book, and I don't think we've really talked about them. But how about it'll be something like when his writing was going good or when it Mm. when it wasn't going good. And so I don't know. I mean, I think he is supposed to be a good writer. He's sold stories and I just mean like good as in not like I can write well Mm. and compelling, but I can also make myself do it and devote the time to it and accomplish it, which is part of the skill Mm. of being good at some. I guess that was more 
Yeah. Sorry, that sounded real preachy. <laughs> let, let me woman-splain this to you, Josh. <laughs> oh, okay. So Jack is... He tells, like, he makes a comment, he's talking to himself, but he basically tells the hedge animals that if he owned the Overlook, he'd cut them all down. Which I'm wondering if they heard that. <laughs> and that's that's why what's going to happen happens. But first he goes down to the playhouse. He's going to play for a minute. He's going to be a kid again, which is I fine. I thought that was fun. Yeah, him sliding like on that. the slide and being like, oh, I can't, my ass is too big. I don't know. The miniature Overlook creep, just the idea <laughs> of it creeps me out so bad. Yeah. It's at the Stanley. Is it? Yeah, in in the basement of the Stanley. Oh is no, that's a worse. Replica is it of by the, the boiler? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He's playing on the playground. He's thinking about his dad, which we are going to dive into here in a minute. But he suddenly hears a sound that causes him to notice the hedge animals. <laughs> it's it's so great because he's like, "Did they move? No, they didn't move at all. No, uh, the dog's still over there." The rabbit's on all fours eating something off the grass. Wait a minute. <laughs> I just trimmed that rabbit's belly. When, as soon as it said it was on all fours, I audibly went, oh no. <laughs> At the abject terror that this is written in, mm-hmm. th- there is a very, very particular kind of fear that I feel like is captured perfectly. Yeah. Like if you have ever been in a situation where something very bad has happened very quickly mm-hmm. where you're like this can't be happening this part hit me really fucking bad because yeah jack is is staring at them and he realizes out of the corner of his eye that the lions have moved as well that they're like flanking the path instead of being to one side and just the way it is written where he is not allowing himself to believe what is happening that is very unnerving. When he's like suddenly realizing that the animals are seeming more defined mm-hmm. and he can really see the faces in them and then a moment later realizes I can't watch them all at once. Because and every time he looks away from one, the others all yeah. move. It's, uh, for those of you who are Doctor Who fans, yeah. the Weeping Angels, who are the most horrifying villain in Doctor Who. That kind of scare, the idea of that happening is the most terrifying thing yeah. ever. So I, it's so intense and it's so fucking scary. I'm wondering, maybe I'm like reading way too much into this, but does Jack have a moment where he thinks about the possibility of Wendy and Danny not coming home? Because he's, as it's as he's like thinking about the the animals and he hasn't quite figured out that they've moved yet. He was saying to himself like, okay, you better get moving because they're going to come back and think you haven't done anything all day. And he interrupts his own thought with something that seems like a very intrusive thought. And that was just, they wouldn't, they wouldn't dare. We don't get anything else. Mm-hmm. I, I got the same feeling okay. that Danny and Dick Halloran had talked about whether his parents shined. And Dick said he thought all mothers shined a little bit, Mm -hmm. but Jack definitely doesn't. I don't believe that for Mm, a second. Me neither. Because, yeah, this moment, it's not really touched on, but it's happening at the same time Mm -hmm. as the discussion of whether they should leave and not come back. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's very easily Jack shined a little Mm -hmm. and caught the thought of, like, they're going to leave me here. I, oh, I had a different interpretation of the they wouldn't dare. What did you think? They wouldn't (laughs) dare accuse him of not getting anything done. 
Like they would, they would never challenge. <laughs> oh, shit. They would never challenge that he right. is the caretaker. Took care was doing work. That I, was the also, interpretation that, also, that so, I heard from it. I know that's like duh. That's <laughs> sorry. I really like our interpretation, but I feel like the simplest answer is probably the oh, well, only one. because the what makes me lean towards that is that I do think that Jack doesn't shine. I think Jack has the opposite of the shine, which is just a void to be filled. Uh, and that's Man, one I of get the reasons. that too, because some of his his uh, internal things are ex- just sort of described as a void. It's And it's such, everything's a downward spiral. So they, that black hole of like sucking everything down. Also, this makes me, the way, Ben, you were talking about King's writing here, how terrifying it is. And it's just so... It reminds me so much of Room 1408 and mm. what I love about that book. He can just ride a hotel real good. <laughs> I like that it all ends with just Jack shutting down and like closing his eyes because he cannot fathom any more happening. And when he opens his eyes, everything's back the way it was. Yep. He doesn't get mauled. And uh, then he pulls a... Must be nice. <laughs> Not getting mauled. Yeah. What'd you say? Like Because later, Danny... Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know what happens later in the book. <laughs> I just <laughs> Jack pulls a Richard from the talisman and decides he was hallucinating the uh, whole yes. time. Classic. And excuse. the best thing to do now is go stare at papers in the basement until Wendy and Danny get home. And this was where I realized, oh, the book hasn't outright told us this yet, and it definitely does later. But Jack's probably been spending way more time in this room with the papers than. I even realized, and he's probably not even writing anymore or much at all, which was cool. So winter has coming. They're standing on the porch watching the world change, and they all feel the sense of relief, you guys, that the, uh, the decision is now oh taken my, out of their hands. Th- this chapter, it is two pages long, <laughs> uh-huh. and this was the chapter that I, I finished it, and I texted it in our group chat. <laughs> I think The Shining is my favorite book. Yeah. Because of the last line. Because, well, first of all, yeah, that they've just had this discussion of like, hey, we might be in danger and we need to leave. Mm -hmm. And then a few days later, standing there together, getting snowed in and feeling relief is so fucked. But then the last line of the chapter, they go back into the hotel and uh, proceed with their evening routine like microbes trapped in the intestines of a beast. I wrote that down too. Fuck. Because it is so, I, it was a Stephen King moment for me. Like like we talk about on our interview episodes, just the way, and sorry, I'm just going to read it again. So yeah. listeners are going to hear this twice because it, there's a there's a note that when they go inside, You know, the Overlook is facing yet another winter being cut off from the world. And maybe that pleased it. So they set up, King sets up that the Overlook is sentient because it goes on to say, inside its shell, the three of them went about their early evening routine like microbes trapped in the intestine of a monster. So first of all, this hotel feels pleasure. Don't like it. Don't be feeling feeling anything, hotel. And then the words inside its shell – following that and then you have to slap us in the face with the microbes in the monster intestine part what the fuck (laughs) it makes the lives of the only three fucking characters in the book Mm -hmm. we this is another thing that we haven't touched on that the fact yes they're supporting cast but 
our main cast is three fucking people mm-hmm. and they feel so insignificant and so far removed and helpless in this moment. It, it like <laughs> fucked me up. I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop and then text you guys and be like, wow, that was a good ass sentence. <laughs> it, it makes me feel like I can't possibly be smart enough to even function in my day to day life. <laughs> All right. So they are extremely snowed in and Ullman's CB radios are only communication with the outside world because the phone lines have been down for several days now. Probably not going to be repaired anytime soon. Hate do this to us once more after this, but the the radio being, you know, casually remarked on as being their only connection to the outside world. So we get some cute family stuff, playing outside, learning to use snowshoes, no jack internal dialogue of hatred. And these things all feel really okay, except Wendy seems like periodically during these fun times, she just has to go in the kitchen and cry by herself. Like you do. And then we come back to the basement with Jack. And I don't you I don't find basements creepy usually. And I didn't really find this one creepy at first, but it's the addition of Jack in it <laughs> and how he is like you're just it's like you walk in the room and he is described in this space so perfectly. It's like, well, now this is a creepy basement. <laughs> and it's so weird that it was because of Jack being in it, not the basement itself for me in that moment. No, it's amazing, um, especially near the end of the book, how ghosts are like ghosts are definitely here. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. definitely real and they want to hurt you. And yet they are not ever as menacing and scary as fucking Jack Torrance. Well, in the the casualness with which the basement has been talked about so far and mm. described and he's just going in there it kind of like <laughs> it's like pulling the rug out from under you when mm. you get to this scene. So he finds some weird shit, like some like weird garage sale or antique store <laughs> stuff. Do you guys want to share one of your favorites? Did you have a favorite? Uh, my favorite is the poem. Yep. I have a story about the poem to share with you guys. If, would you like to oh, read it? Okay. Sure. Medoc, are you here? I've been sleepwalking again, my dear. The plants are moving under the rug. It later ends in, it's the inhuman monsters that I fear. So when they were making the ABC series of The Shining, they were all staying at the Stanley Hotel while they filmed it. And Stephen King was also staying there. He was I think they said he was writing The Green Mile at the time. And so Stephen Weber, who's playing Jack Torrance, is reading The Shining while he's staying Mm -hmm. in the Overlook. (laughs) Seems like a terrible idea. (laughs) And he got to this poem and he's like, God, what does this mean? This is so crazy. Fuck. Stephen King is here. I can go ask him. And so uh, he finds King, who was with Mick Garris at the time, and says, like, I read this and it's blowing my mind. What what is it? And he reads it and he goes, oh, um, well, the, the plant, I was I was probably looking around my office and I and I saw a plant uh, and then I, I looked down and just there might have been what looked like a, like a vine design on the rug. So I just kind of like put that there. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And it was like, it was so unconnected to anything deep. He was still like, holy shit, that is insane. But I just, because I did the same thing when I read that poem. I was like, there has got to be something deep and menacing in this. Like, no, he just read and read about what was in the room. Do you think that's what his life is like? Any mundane thing in the room just can become terror at yes. any moment. I like uh, the, there's a hand puppet of like a witch. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and there's a dismembered slashed teddy bear. I think that's mm-hmm. my favorite. The the poem, I don't know anything more about it yet, but it really sticks with you, especially because snippets of it just come back into the book as we go along here. So we're going to leave that gem to find Danny standing outside of room 217 again. Would one of you like to take us through what is happening here? Oh, I absolutely would. Because this, it starts off with one of my favorite things, and it is Danny taunting the fire hose. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. So <laughs> righteous. Come on, bite me. Do it. Do Nothing something. Nothing but a cheap prick. Yeah. <laughs> I love like Danny so much. Dad. It's so fucking great. Uh, he goes into... 217 and he's exploring he pulls back uh he goes into the bathroom and the curtain is closed Mm -hmm. and he starts making his way up to it he grabs it and he pulls the shower curtain open and the dead bloated body of the woman is in the tub and he's just taking in that he did the description of like the puffy skin and the purple lips and Mm -hmm. it's so detailed and horrifying There are many scenes in this book (laughs) that are what I, as a child, assumed all of every Stephen King book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so often I get asked, oh, uh, I've never read Stephen King because he's so scary. And my usual response is, come on, he's not that scary. (laughs) I would not give those people The Shining to read. (laughs) Because fuck. Though the way... The uh, I'm so upset because the way these are written are so amazing that I feel like a fucking asshole trying to talk about that. So if you're listening to this, go read it if you haven't, uh, <laughs> or read I, it again. God, okay. I think we said in the first episode, if if you haven't, if you're one of our many listeners that just listen along, do yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. you owe it to yourself. This is something that I. It's such a small detail, but I think it's great, Danny. Seeing this body is so horrified, he steps back, trips over himself, and falls on his ass and pees himself. Yeah. Then it gets scary. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. He is so scared. He is at that point. And then the woman sits up in the tub. Stop sitting up. (laughs) (laughs) And he he does a, a very natural kid thing. When he gets up, he runs to the door and he just starts banging his fists on it. Because he's so panicked, it doesn't occur to him the door is unlocked. Mm -hmm. And he slowly is getting himself under control. And he thinks back to what Dick said. These are pictures in a book that can't hurt you. So he closes his eyes. And we just saw it work with Jack. He closes his eyes. And as soon as he calms down, feels the fingers wrap around his throat, turn him around. And he is staring into the woman's face. And then we leave. Can I tell you my favorite line, though? Yeah. Because it really fucks us up right before (laughs) we leave. Danny shrieked, but the sound never escaped his lips. Turning inward and inward, it fell down in his darkness like a stone in a well. It's fucking beautiful. (laughs) It's so beautiful. While this is happening, Wendy is in their living area. She's knitting and falling asleep. Jack is in the basement, painstakingly looking through every single scrap of paper he comes across. And he's thinking about the mental breakdown he must be on the brink of having and decides, you know what, this was Al's request that sent nearly sent me over the edge. I've just got to write my book. I'll be damned. And he reflects that the overlook has enchanted him. 
Jack starts to get sleepy and doze. And this is where we get to visit Josh. We get to visit Jack's childhood. (laughs) (laughs) This is where we get to visit his childhood. Josh, I believe you had some things you really wanted to talk about with Jack's family. It's just so fucked up. It Jack's trauma is something that the first time I read this, I got through with this section and had to put the book down Mm -hmm. because it rocked me so badly. Just this small section of describing life with his dad. It's so indicative of who he turned out to be. One of the biggest things is so his dad was like six foot tall, big guy. Jack would sit and wait for his dad to come home from work. And sometimes his dad would be drunk and sometimes he wouldn't. But he would come in and they'd play the game Elevator where he'd scoop Jack up under his arms and lift him up over his head. And sometimes he was too drunk and he would accidentally throw Jack over his head, this small child dropping six feet to the ground. They never say accidentally. Oh. Jesus. Oh, that's... Ben. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, they just say sometimes he wouldn't stop uh, lifting him up, and it would end with him flying over his head and landing in a crumpled heap in the hall. His dad... Oh my god. I feel like Jack's dad, the the version that Jack kind of says that other people saw, is somebody very relatable. So many people I know, I know they have dads that the public vision of them is very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just like real triggering a little oh, bit no. to like, just think of <laughs> yeah. the, the, the darkness that you hide from people the the incident at the dinner table where uh we've like flashed forward he says that his dad started walking with a cane because he was in a car accident doesn't say he was drunk but we all know his dad was in a drunk driving accident Mm -hmm. and ended up walking with a cane and over dinner he ends up hitting jack's mom seven times with his cane brutally out of nowhere and like knocks her glasses off. Not that off there should and, be a reason. Right, of course. Uh, and he says he can still, he'll never forget it was seven because of the sounds that they all made. And this whole story wraps up with they called somebody to come take care of her. They had to take her to the hospital. And the whole thing was she fell down the stairs so hard her glasses fell into the potato salad. But she fell down the stairs and his mom corroborated the story. And everyone just pretended it didn't happen and it's after this incident that jack starts to realize none of my siblings bring their friends or dates over Mm -hmm. around dad he was nine years old when yeah this happened it is absolute sunset tree vibes i don't know what that is mandatory mountain goats reference okay (laughs) don't worry about it (laughs) but yeah it just it it's oh man it triggers me so hard it's so insane it's It's so sad it's bad and it does make you again feel sympathy for Jack and also very afraid for him because you see the cranked up to 10 version of what we're dealing with. It sympathy. I don't know if sympathy is the right word. Empathy. Is that maybe one of them? It's one of them, (laughs) but it's the way I don't know at what point in the book this happens where Jack start uh, talks about his feelings towards his characters and how he has always felt 
empathy for all of his characters, regardless of how terrible they are. And he talks about a short story he wrote about a child molester and murderer and how he felt sympathy for this character because of the abuse that this character suffered and all of the terrible things that happened to this character that made them act the way that they do. And the whole time he's talking about himself and right. your relationship to Jack Torrance. Because you do. He He's written so humanly mm-hmm. that just as a human being, you hear the stories about his father and you say, fuck, no, no wonder. But also... <laughs> Not excuses. That's what is so hard, like so brutally difficult about reading this is you you, go, oh my God, this guy is so broken, but he's still a fucking monster. That was my aha moment Mm -hmm. about the the story of the child molester. It's like, oh, he, he, this is what he does. He excuses unexcusable behavior. Not that you can't understand Mm -hmm. circumstance and context of things, but you realize like all those hopeful moments I had for Jack might not. Yeah, especially when in the same this same section, he starts sympathizing, not sympathizing, but yeah, sympathizing uh, is what I think, because he shows empathy for the serial killer. Mm -hmm. But he starts sympathizing and feeling like he is like the teacher character in his play, Mm -hmm. who is this character who um becomes jealous of a rich student, <laughs> yep, <laughs> a rich, talented student, and murders this student. Mm-hmm. And Jack is like, you know, the more I'm writing about this, I think this guy's pretty rad. I, <laughs> I think this guy <laughs> knows what's going on. Yeah, his hero kind of swaps. Yeah. It's not the kid anymore. It's gross. Yeah. Um, so, but this scene continues on into some alarming things after we get that flashback with his family. Jack is seeing himself as a child and his face turns into Danny's. And then we are kind of, we flash back to that arm break scene and he's reliving that moment in a dream. And then he hears his mother's voice over the radio saying that there's going to be an announcement from his father if he'll tune into the happy Jack frequency. What does that mean? Horror. So Jack, I didn't realize at first because it's just written so well or I'm just really dull. Sleepwalks his way upstairs and there's this moment where he's he becomes aware of like the pass key being gone, but doesn't understand, you know, what's happening because he's turning on the radio to hear his father's message. What's what's his father's message? His father's message is is in a nutshell, you have to kill your wife and child because an artist has to suffer. Yep. So that's them doing their part. And Jack, he oh he uh, he also says he also says that Danny is trespassing and he needs to go take something and beat him within an inch of his life to teach him a lesson, make him take his medicine. All words that we're going to hear Jack continue to think about. <laughs> And, and then he, he screams back, you're dead, you're not in me at all, grabs the CB and smashes it on the floor. And here we come to the this part that now I know is not going to be okay. It There's a comment that now all they have is the snowmobile. So this commotion wakes up Wendy and she rushes downstairs and at the top of the steps above her, if she looked up, she would see... Fucking- Hell. Danny and it's so cool because we cut we cut to Danny and he's 
staring off, not looking at anything, sucking his thumb. His shirt is wet and he has puffy bruises on his neck and we're not going to stay with him. We get that description of him. And then Wendy bursts through the door of the office, expecting to see Jack standing over Danny's sprawled body. It is such because in that that throwaway of if she had looked up, she would have seen Danny already hurt mm-hmm. and all this would have went different but knowing that danny is bruised and then having her run and seeing jack freaking out you know oh this is is what her this is going to be her train chain of thought and it's the reasonable chain of thought absolutely yeah because she walks in finds him standing over the sprawled body of the cb radio and jack kind of comes to and he breaks down He just sobs and he seeks comfort from Wendy. And it's such a rough moment. And you want want them to be able to give each other comfort. But Wendy asks, and I think she asks this, not just because of the thought bursting through the door, but she had fallen asleep. And now she realizes that Jack had fallen asleep. So she's like, hey, where's Danny? Is he with you? And Jack's behavior just so quickly, he becomes instantly defensive and accuses her of never letting the incident go. The one where he drunkenly broke his own son's arm mm-hmm. and then immediately apologizes to her. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean it. Are we good? She's like, yeah, we're fine. And she leaves. So let's talk about the scene of them finding Danny. It, like Ben said, it is so reasonable what is about to happen because they go out and they see Danny with that thousand yard stare sucking his thumb and Wendy sprints to him and grabs him. And when Jack tries to put a hand on him, like see what is wrong with him, she yells, don't you touch him and scoops him up and pulls him away. Says, I will kill you. Yeah. If you touch him, (laughs) which is like, yeah, Wendy. (laughs) And then she scoops him up and, and takes him out of there and Jack and locks him out of the apartment. And Jack is so pissed off. This section of internal monologue also fucked me up Mm -hmm. because he's in this like block in his internal monologue. He's like, I can't believe she would think that I did something. I would never hurt Danny. I would never hurt Danny sober. Hold on. I'd never hurt Danny sober and willingly. And just all of these. I never hurt anybody. Oh yeah. Mm. Never mind. It is. (laughs) It's so self-righteous and then having to be confronted with fucking reality mm-hmm. and he has to amend it's jack torrance is such a goddamn pathetic figure yeah that is completely incapable of recognizing his own fuck the consequences of his actions it drives me crazy i hate it yeah it's, it's also in this moment that we get Jack is uh, upset that Wendy will always assume if anything happens that he is to blame for any new bruise or new scrape that shows up on Danny for the rest of their lives. And I think it's just like this throwaway that says if Wendy had noticed when she grabbed Danny that he mm-hmm. was wet and yeah. Jack's hands were dry when she found him. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, this was the other moment that where if everyone if the emotions in the moment, weren't so heightened for everyone. If everyone could stop and think, mm-hmm. you know, sensibly in the moment, then things would turn out different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that she just misses that detail. It's it's crazy. She's having a dilemma of her own in the other room with Danny because she knows that Jack did this and she has to get Danny out of here, but she needs Jack to do that. 
And then she talks herself into trusting him again by thinking, okay, if he was sleepwalking, maybe he heard him in his sleep and I'm going to have to just risk this because I have to assume that awake Jack is safe Jack. A horrifying the, but logical train of thought I think that she takes. The the level of like, what are the words I'm trying to, I was going to say like how pragmatic she has to be. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know that that word means what I think it means. I'm pretty sure I'm using it yeah, correctly. Yeah, I think you're doing it right. But she has, she has to be so like thinking so rationally yeah. and like she can't lie to herself in this moment because her maternal instinct for protecting Danny is so strong Mm -hmm. uh, that she has to very reasonably think, I think the question she asks herself is how dangerous is he and Mm -hmm. has to answer it truthfully or the best that she can. (laughs) After going through the list of the weapons she doesn't have available to her (laughs) and what ones she does, but how she'd have to go through him to get it first. And she's, she knows now that she made a mistake after the conversation with Danny in the truck. And she made another mistake when she didn't pursue the idea of divorce. And she's making another mistake now is her great concern. And she also acknowledges kind of without without that shame this time that maybe she is a little bit like her mother. I think it's here or a little bit further. And that was just an interesting moment. Too. Oh, it's it's in. Uh, it's yeah, it's later when they're all in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because she's like. Okay, I know he didn't do it, but given the same situation, I would still have thought he did, and I would act the same, and I have to accept that. You can only act on the evidence you have in front of you. Yeah. When you're snowed into a hotel. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So she's going to rely on Jack, but if he doesn't help her get Danny out, then God help him. This fucks me up looking back on it, because from her perspective, he does try to help. He is willingly trying to get them out of here. But she has no idea that he is actually actively trying to keep them there. And so seeing her having dealt with this very like kind of in your face situation, she falsely thinks that she'll know what Jack is doing. And it's sad. In in her defense, everything he's done so far that sabotaged them getting out, he hasn't really done under his own power. Mm -hmm. And even then the later it's there's a battle. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's it's just. It was interesting because you feel that for me, it was like a moment of empowerment for her that I didn't realize wasn't. Yeah, gotcha. it was undermined in a unique way. Yeah. So we catch back up with Jack. He is raging inside his own head, really building up a case against Wendy and basically arguing that if you accuse someone of something long enough, even though they're not doing it, don't they then have a right to embrace that to, to become that accusation? Seems logical to me. It's- Makes perfect sense. The self-destruction really ramps up uh, here because he he is so in this moment. This is the moment he gives up. And the only thing that stops him is the fact that the ghosts aren't real enough yet because he goes down into the Colorado ballroom. Right. Mm. And it's dark and all the tables are up and all the chairs are up. But in the darkness, he looks across to the bar and swears he sees the glint of light off of bottles. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it is so, uh, it has the feeling of like, it's over. So I haven't finished the book yet, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I thought about this scene a lot because I, 
he he basically he has a conversation with a imaginary bartender. Oh my god, which it's is amazing! So really good. badass, cool. It's and, so good. And he's drinking imaginary drinks. He hears people behind him, like you said. And I just kept thinking, like he's really getting drunk, right? It, it yeah. feels mm-hmm. very real because he feels like he's he tells Lloyd, uh, "Line up twenty martinis, and I'm gonna take them all down." And as he is having this conversation and slowly getting worked up and acting very drunk, Mm -hmm. he is hearing the imaginary people behind him starting to laugh. He can see them behind him, not literally, but he he knows they're covering their mouths and pointing. And it's really a huge downer. But I fucking love the way it's written Mm -hmm. in that... This dialogue uh, is done so all of Lloyd's dialogue is not in quotes. Mm-hmm. It's all I he Jack says this to Lloyd. Uh, Lloyd replied, "Thank you for the compliment." Like it's just all very. It is very clear that there is no one there. Yes, but is there? <laughs> I can't wait to find out. <laughs> I also thought his description of sobriety, the analogy he makes, is very fascinating. It's it shocked me because it's it's the catalyst is he asks Lloyd if he's ever known somebody who's fallen off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Lloyd doesn't think he has, and Jack says, "Well, you know, so you obviously haven't because when you're in the gutter, the wagon is up there so high and and." It's the goal and you want to get there. It's pristine. It's comfortable. It's beautiful. And then once you're there, it's fucking boring. It's a it's a church with bars. It's a church for women. Yes. A Mm -hmm. prison for men, Mm -hmm. which is so deeply upsetting (laughs) and uh, weirdly misogynist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Very toxic. Yeah. It was like, ooh. (laughs) This is my favorite part of the scene, the very end of it, when Wendy has come in. She's still carrying catatonic Danny in her arms. Mm. And suddenly he just starts bowing his back and starts letting out these sounds. And he comes to and he sees Jack. He breaks free of his mother's arms and screams, Daddy, it was her. (sighs) And I believe the description is something like Jack purrs. What did you do? Yeah, my fucking blood went cold. And he yeah. looked, when he looked at her, his eyes were like silver. Coins. I was like, "Oh shit, it starts now." Yeah, it's fucking um, scary. The sharpness that the tables have now turned on Wendy mm-hmm. is so dark. And they go down to the kitchen, and and Danny is sobbing to Jack, and we get that that glimpse of the jealousy that Wendy has seeing their connection because he makes this like concoction for him to drink that'll mm-hmm. have his throat. And yeah, when he like, asked for the cooking sherry, also oh, yeah. made me go, uh-oh. Yeah. But he, Wendy knows he wouldn't have drank the gross drink for her, mm-hmm. but she'll do it for Jack. And Jack is also thinking, oh, it was really fun to put the screws to Wendy about it, but I know in my heart of hearts, she would, she'd set herself on fire and jump in a field of cactuses before she ever <laughs> hurt Danny. Yeah. Uh, which is again, it's that little glimpse of of real little Jack here. glimpse yeah. of, a glimpse of humanity that is completely undone by the glee of uh, completely knowingly unjustly sticking it to Wendy. Mm-hmm. 
But this is also he seeing him in this good dad role, like seeing the way he takes care of Danny here, the way he he talks to Danny and and the way he after getting over the glee of getting to turn the tables for a minute, the way he accepts Wendy's reaction was right. I, I it upsets me, but I understand that this is how it is forever because I did something you can't forget and can't forgive. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the problem is that these real Jack moments are two sentences mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then it, and then it goes. I feel like you just made a better point of that <laughs> than is made for us in the book sometimes because it's so brief. We also get to hear what everything that happened to Danny after we left him in room 217. And it made me sad to type that because that's how I felt. I felt like we left him. We abandoned him mm-hmm. and this thing happened. And that's such a weird way to feel about a character. But uh, also, he- this is the shit that I usually am bored with in books because you're recapping everything we've already known and mm-hmm. read. But something about the way having to fill Jack and Wendy in on all of this mm-hmm. high level shit through the vocabulary of a five-year-old, even a, mm-hmm. a precocious five-year-old like Danny. It's it's crazy. Yeah, the fact that they go through the, what could be, for me, very annoying spelling out of the supernatural abilities could have been something I hated. Mm-hmm. The, like, turning this into a book about Danny having powers and not about family trauma, mm-hmm. but they handle it extremely oh, yeah. well. And also, can I say how cute it is that whenever Danny thinks about the presidential suite, it's spelled S W E That is great. I love that. This part made me sad because Danny's Danny's sad because he feels like he should have told his parents sooner everything that had happened, but he couldn't figure out how the overlook was both good and bad for Jack. And Wendy acknowledges to Jack then that they were talking about him in the truck that day and how things, they they felt like they needed to leave, all of them needed to leave, but things had seemed so good when they got there. And then he started spending more time in the basement looking at papers. He started talking in his sleep, which he had no idea he was doing. And his drinking habits are all back, all of the signs except for the actual alcohol. And he opens up about the warnings he's been getting from Tony, about his and Dick's conversation. He talks to them about the shine, and he brings up something about the hedge animals. And Jack reacts to that, but then lies when Wendy asks him if everything's okay, which is fun because later he's going to claim that if only Wendy would ask him about the hedge animals, Mm -hmm. he would tell her everything. I didn't catch that at all. (laughs) Yeah. I had a big note about that, yeah, and now he's lying oh because my God, we know he he's lying. lying. Yeah, God, so that's Jack, you piece of this shit. is what makes Jack so complicated because it's all stuff like that. that yeah, because he to says really... one thing and then does another because yeah. he's a piece of shit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like and, that it's the presidential suite story that seals it for Jack because he's just uncovered all that information of of the murder very recently, mm-hmm. and that's when he's like, "All right, I'm 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 all in." Uh, I need to go check out room 217 because if somebody's there, yeah. if something is, is there, I'm, I'm I'm the caretaker. God damn it. I've got to well, do it. And, That's and, my excuse yeah, for anything. And, and Wendy's terrified of this. She's like, well, there's somebody here trying to kill our son. Don't split up. And Danny's like, it's OK, mom. Dad doesn't have the shine. 
So the things he sees here can't hurt him, which has been when you were saying he mm. does shine is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because he sees things and he can interact with them. But then, Josh, your void thing is good, too. Yeah. <laughs> OK, we have to talk about Jack's experience in room 217. Oh, yeah. I I love this section. It, it's so frustrating. <laughs> Jack's reaction to it anyway. Right. Because Jack goes to room 217 and first of all, it gives a real weird look to the fire extinguisher across the hall. That was cool. But he goes in and the wild second to second fluctuation between mortal terror and just annoyance at Danny. uh, Yeah, just jackass (laughs) anger is so fast because he walks in and immediately he sees that the the covers are fine on the bed. Nothing has been put out of place. The person he, isn't staying there, sleeping there, an intruder. <laughs> exactly. And he goes immediately to the bathroom and is so confident that nothing is there until just before he's about to pull the curtain open when he's like, uh, nah, and then he pulls it open and nothing's there. And immediately he's like, fuck this. <laughs> of course there's nothing there. I, why would I be scared? And he turns to leave. And this is my favorite That's part so is after as he's reaching for or as he's heading out the front door, he hears a rattle. That's so fucking scary. So it gives me goosebumps scary. thinking about it. And that he immediately recognizes as the curtain that he just left open. And he goes back in and it has been drawn shut. There's a silhouette. And there's a <laughs> silhouette. And uh, immediately he is immediately he even like is in the moments that he is terrified he's like yep everything's real (laughs) gotta get out of here i like he accepts everything in those moments but he's so deeply in denial he's so deeply fucking petty and egotistical that he he cannot admit the admit that he felt this scared yeah uh because when he pulls it back the woman is there and he immediately turns around and is like, nah. Doesn't wait <laughs> yeah. for her to get up. No. And he hears her coming after him yeah. when he shuts. He's fumbling to lock the room back up and he can hear something just on the other side, which makes the next part even more terrifying because he's so he's safe, but he sees the keyhole and he thinks, what would I see if I looked through that keyhole? What would be looking back at me? And he doesn't do that. But because we've had that moment with Danny and then we just had this, the idea of thinking about someone looking through a keyhole (laughs) is scary. (laughs) And then he caps it off with looking at the fire extinguisher and seeing that it's changed position. And he just goes, didn't see that. And then he walks away. Then he takes the stairs (laughs) instead of the open mouth of the elevator as it's described. Yeah. Yeah, and then he goes back to Danny and Wendy and fucking so smugly, so smugly, he says he's surprised at the robustness of his voice. He's like, Well, nothing in there, just like I fucking said. Hate Jack Torrance. I hate him. (laughs) I think you're going to hate him even more, though. I think that's why I love him so much, though. (laughs) Like, as a person, I'd set him on fire. Yeah. But... As a, but as, as a character God, and a villain is, is amazing. Oh, this next part is where we get Jack realizing that he's switched sides <laughs> on his mm. own play. And he's 
he's having these thoughts while Wendy's like staring at their kid, thinking about what they need to do and how they can get him to safety and actually trying to talk to Jack about it, too, because she kind of interrupts him trying to figure out what he's going to do with this play. And he is not happy about that. This fight about how they're going to get out of here is so bizarre because he has a lot of great reasons. The snowshoeing, there's no way she'd be able to keep up. And if there was a single storm, they'd be entirely fucked. They just have to stay and hope that a ranger comes in and then the ranger can take them all out of here. And she can get this feeling. She gets this feeling like she knows he's leaving something out. But then he starts like playing with her nipples, so she's too horny to think about it. It's a lot of nipple play. It part. sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, don't talk bad about nipple play, Ben. It's fine. It's, it's, no, it's two just consenting adults. So wanna... weird that they're doing it three feet away from their sleeping child while arguing. I yeah, assume parents do that all the time, ben. though. <laughs> like... Still sucks. Yeah, he's it's... he's just like. It, distracting her it basically sucks, though, because it's so otherwise like tender and in like a vulnerable moment because it's her boobs <laughs> that it sucks because it's manipulative because yeah. he is trying yeah like you said trying to distract her mm-hmm. from remembering that the snowmobile exists but and then he fucks up and says snowmobile but it's scary too it's not mm-hmm. just distracting it's terrifying because you were worried about her and her nipples if I wasn't um, worried about her nipples he he feels I don't know. <laughs> no, go on. Well, doesn't he thinks at a certain point, you know, like, like twisting he just wanted to grab yeah. and twist. And, and you, it's like, fuck, some people the, are okay, into that. The writing here is so good that you are, you are anticipating that action mm. before he even says he was thinking about it. You're just like, this is supposed to be tender. I don't think it is. <laughs> oh, I, I never thought it was going to turn dangerous in this scene just because I, I got the clear sense of huh, this. Is I wonder a why Josh and I did not feel in danger while CM did. <laughs> huh. I can't imagine why that is society. Ooh. Oh my mm. God. Um, now I'm Jesus. sad. Now I don't, <laughs> it's a bummer. I don't even know what I was going to say next. Oh, I, this shit gets really hard too, because he's, he's like, well, Wendy, you know, if, Danny hadn't been trespassing. None of this would have happened. Oh, yeah. He's and it, it's like he thinks that's an argument for staying. The, the, yeah. <laughs> that if immediately she's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" So you think that him getting choked was proper punishment mm-hmm. for it? Which, uh, surprise, he does think that because he's been thinking it for chapters. Yes, and and later in bed, they're still after they. Uh, have hopefully okay sex. <laughs> they, I don't know why. I don't. You don't even want them to touch each other. This way, so <laughs> I'm, I'm so scared for her. In bed later, Jack is giving us his Doctor Bill diagnosis of what's up with Danny, which is even more frustrating for us reading this than it was when Doctor Bill is like, "Yeah, he's a little bit crazy, and that's okay because all kids are." He's just really perceptive. What did you guys think about Jack's argument to Wendy about stigmata or? You know, he did it himself, basically. I, I I mean, the stigmata is obviously a very extreme thing, but the self-inflicted, I feel like in the state of panic was a, an easy excuse uh, for Wendy to latch onto. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is on its surface, unless you think about it too hard, is a great explanation. You're right, because she has been latching onto excuses yeah. this whole time. 
Oh, yeah, that makes it better because I was sort of, I was torn on that. It ends horribly because they've agreed to figure out a way to get out of here. They're going to wait for nice weather and then take the snowmobile out. And Wendy's asking follow-up questions, like kind of just making sure Jack is going to do it. And as she's doing that, he starts clenching his fist so tight that he's just bleeding blood into the bed as she's laying there with him sweetly thinking everything's going to be fine. This is one of my least favorite Kingisms. Uh, the the pre- nail stabbing. Pressing your nails so hard into your fists that you start bleeding. It happens a lot. And it always, I'm like, you can't do that. Wouldn't I, it be cool if you could? Yeah. It, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's an effective image. But I'm yeah. like, every time I read it, I'm like, no, he didn't. I'm going to start <laughs> carrying like capsules with me everywhere so I can just <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's pull perfect. that out. Yeah. <laughs> Get little crescent marks tattooed on your palm. Yeah. Then you can just Ooh, that's show cool. Yeah. There's your Stephen King tattoo. Your next Stephen <laughs> King tattoo. So before he goes to bed, though, this thought comes to him again. Eh, need to kill her. Really going to have to kill her. Dad said I got to do it. Got to kill them all. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the first time it, it comes up unforced from somewhere. Wait, no, it totally isn't. Because when he calls Ullman a long time ago, oh, he starts the conversation with, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Haven't even murdered my wife yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad, uh, too soon. <laughs> yeah. I, this is this moment. I, again, it's hard to say that I, I like these scenes. But as I make my argument for the moments we get real Jack, when the snowmobile becomes the plan, there's a line that says that when he says that's the plan on the good day, we'll Mm -hmm. all go out. We'll get Danny out of here. He genuinely believes it. He says like the feelings of love dissolved in him. Like it's when he looks at Danny. Yeah. And he's like, yes, that is the plan. And then right here when he's after he's like, I should just kill her and get it over with. He fights with himself and knows with all the love that he has, that she is right and that Danny needs to get out of here. Yeah. That is the primary thing. He can fix this. He even has uh, one of the things that he says is after we earlier talked about Stovington was what destroyed him because it was so confining and mm-hmm. so restrictive. He's like, maybe Stovington isn't as bad as I thought. Who could have a good time with a hangover through half their day mm-hmm. of teaching? Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can all fix this. If, mm-hmm. if this snowmobile thing works, we can do it. Yeah. And I think he believes it for just a second. The, this <laughs> is that moment I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. where uh, it's like th- there's this for a split second, he sees the truth of the matter, which is, yeah, it's going to be fucking hard, but like mm-hmm. it's the work that needs to be yeah. done. And he could do it if he had the bravery. And then we get an equal number of excuses for mm-hmm. why that won't work. And then he sleepwalks again and he is in room 217 and he he just comes to in the bathroom, which is horrible. Horrible, horrible thing. The bath mat's wet. The curtain's closed. There's something behind it. He pulls it back, and it's George Hatfield in the bathtub with a knife in his chest. And he opens his eyes, and he says, you set the timer ahead. And he comes after Jack. And this is really fun because it's it represents everything that we've read about so mm-hmm. far. So he tells Jack, you set the timer ahead. You tried to run me over on my bike. And earlier, uh, Jack, when he was ex- like, when he flipped on his characters, yep. he's like, well, that kid cheated on something. And now he's applying this to George Hatfield in yeah, here. And it's like realities are. All of his 
like negative thoughts about all of these different people are all kind of Mm -hmm. just condensing into one singular hatred. And so that's terrifying. And Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, this is scary. It's not going to get worse. (laughs) Jack barely escapes the room and he stumbles out into not the hallway, which is what he should stumble out into, but he comes out into the basement screaming that he'll find it. And he finds a timer and a wasp nest. Which, why? What, what does that mean? <laughs> it's we it's some dynamite. It, we, we mentioned it last time. The, the, the dream sequences are mm-hmm. so well done. They are so floaty and unreal. Ever, All of the ideas just flow into each other. So exactly the way... Uh, dream feels yeah. it's amazing and yeah all of these uh, he calls them talismans mm-hmm. he he knows that he can you know win ah. and uh again it's it's gonna get a little bit worse <laughs> he's not alone george comes right after him and he grabs the only thing he can get to defend himself his father's cane great <laughs> and starts beating the hell out of george and as he's hitting him with the cane, the cane turns into a roke mallet and he pulls back for the killing blow. He swings and bef- right before he hits George, it's Danny and he kills Danny and something in the void laughs, <laughs> which I argue Jack laughs. Oh, yeah. He wakes up sweating, standing over Danny. Mm hmm. And the, thinks to himself, I would never hurt you, right? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I remember. So the next morning we are with Jack in the equipment shed because he's got to figure out if the snowmobile thing is going to work. The Roke equipment is also in here too. But let's let's talk about Jack's time in the shed. He really has a moment where he thinks about taking the mallet and beating the shit out of the this giant mechanical wasp mm-hmm. that will take them to freedom. Because uh, it is the snowmobile. You could throw a wasp out casually yeah, the, and not the, explaining it. Yeah, the, the, the snowmobile's paint job is uh, yellow, yellow and, black. and black, so it reminds him of a wasp. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh he, even, he even says, like, staring at it, he hates it so much and expects there to be a giant stinger protruding out yeah. the back because he has decided that the leaving is uh, that he knows what's best for his family. And it is staying. The back and forth is so crazy, though, because he says, Wendy's right. If I destroy this, I kill. If I kill this, I kill Danny. But it's easy to have this. It's easy to have this argument with himself because up until a certain point, he hasn't really found all the things he needs Mm -hmm. to know whether this argument's even going to matter. It's all moot. And when he sees the the final piece, when he sees the battery, the last thing that the, he needed, that he had written off, when he couldn't find the battery, he was like, well, good. I, I, I can, with a good, clean conscience, I can go to Wendy yeah, and say, sorry. I argued sorry. with myself about it when it was safe to do so. Exactly. <laughs> but when he sees it sitting on the floor underneath a, a chair by the door, he is about to convince him. He's like, well... The thing is, I didn't see it. That's a hallucination. I've been hallucinating. Yeah, yeah. I've been hallucinating. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. not actually there. And is going to go inside when he sees Danny and thinks, oh, yeah. He, for a split second, recognizes how vulnerable he is and how he is not in control here. And he, in this split second, he sees 
everything Danny said is true. There was a woman in 217. Mm-hmm. The hedge animals did move. I'm accepting all of these things. I know I'm going to attach this battery and it's it's going to be fine. And then he does it. And then the overlook sinks its claws into him one more time. Mm-hmm. And he he pulls a, a part of the battery off and tosses it out the back. And then he goes and has a snowball fight with Danny. Like nothing happened. Talk, having a snowball fight as the end of that was really mean. Yeah, it was. It, it was frustrating, too, because Jack is thinking, if only I hadn't looked that direction mm-hmm. at that moment, I might not have seen it. And there was something, some white luck, some good luck that was keeping him from finding it. And then, darn it, that old bad Jack Torrance luck kicked in. Is this the first time that we've gotten Jack really thinking that the overlook wants Danny and not him. Yes, I believe this I th- I think, is cause the first time. He has yeah. this this moment of that and just before he throws the part of the battery. Well, yeah, isn't it the when opposite? Thinking- because he thinks when he looks out and sees Danny playing in the snow, I thought that was the moment when he accepts the truth of the the hotel. It's I, in that moment. I thought that he realized that he was the one that was vulnerable. He yeah, well, he he, does. he realizes he's the weak link. Yeah, and he realizes that the hotel wants them all, but Danny's specialness mm. is important, and it is unlocking things in the Overlook that are normally harmless. And this worries me because I'm kind of thinking like, okay, he knows about these things because he's researched he's he knows what the blood splatter is and everything Mm. he knows these things that are happening is danny picking those out of jack's head and then that's what he's seeing so it really freaked Mm. me out when he wondered if grady was waiting somewhere with an axe waiting for danny to wake him up to and then as as quickly as he had all these really truthful moments these realizations he unrealizes all of it and it's all danny's fault and if they go they go to town it won't be long before he finds the nearest bar so that's when jack makes the decision to get rid of that problem and then has a snowball fight with danny (laughs) so now we are a few days past thanksgiving things seem to be going better but when danny tries to look in jack's mind something strange happens so excited about this because danny he knows his dad has done something that his dad is proud of but he cannot figure out what it is and he his dad doesn't his dad doesn't shine his dad's never been able to block him from something so this is so new and he's guarding it so carefully he says he's guarding it carefully even in his own mind because it's not in his mind it's part of the overlook that is taking up permanent residence there disagree really yeah i think what is happening because i i also thought this was fascinating because it is a child trying to parse an extremely adult feeling. And that is the feeling of extreme shame that uh, Jack has. Because that block, it's not the overlook. It is Jack. It's Jack's feeling of knowing deep down, the part of him that is still sane, knowing I've done this and I've I've doomed us all to, to staying. It's, I think it is, he is shutting it out because he needs to think of it as I did the right thing. But deep down he knows he fucking did. That's why he's that's why he's guarding it from himself yes. because he won't allow himself to feel that shame. Yeah, Danny even thinks he's like is it possible to be proud of something and yet be so upset about it that you block even yourself from thinking of it. And yeah. Yeah. It's called shame. <laughs> it's it's, it's, I, it's just such an adult feeling that Danny cannot 
process it properly. Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. My my interpretation comes from the again going back to my uh, Jack as a void and the Overlook slowly filling that void mm. and before it, you know, the the intent to take over basically is that later Jack. Later, Danny mentions that when he's trying to get a read on his dad, he'll notice that his dad is looking back at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, and that was, I was thinking, what if the Overlook, the piece of the Overlook that is set up residence in Jack mm-hmm. can tell that Danny's shining at it, so he's turning Jack uh, on him. See, this goes back to the thing that we're going to talk about <laughs> next episode, <laughs> that I... It's interesting. You you seem to be arguing that uh, this is a very literal possession. That the Overlook is taking over Jack Torrance. Right. I don't think that's exactly what is happening. And we'll and get I more into that And I don't episode. know how deep I can get into that line of thought without spoiling some major, major yeah. things. We'll... So. we'll, we'll We'll finish this co- this part of the conversation next this episode. Is, <laughs> let's okay. Let's talk about Danny's experience in the snow with the hedge animals because he's going to have a similar thing happen, and the outcome is not going to be once again as good for Danny as it was for Jack. This is uh, this is the scene that has created the um, clickbait articles of if uh, it is at the Overlook. Because uh, Danny's playing in a cement tunnel and gets uh, chased by a ghost child. What? What are you talking about? It is what? Have you not heard that that Pennywise Pennywise is attached to the Overlook? There's like a clickbait article. No, about I've never it. heard of that because of how stupid that is. It's it's because of the scene in. It's a very it scene that happens. Yeah, in that no, I totally agree. Right. Because yeah, he climbs down into this like cement. Tube, I guess. Yeah. Is that what These it are is? The, like jungle gym areas. Yeah. Cement things. And he gets down and beneath the snow, so it's pitch black, and starts thinking about his parents are asleep and don't know where he is. And if the snow collapsed on him, he would just not be found until spring. And did any kids die out here? And and he's like, Yeah, probably. <laughs> I have no reason to think no. And so he freaks out and runs away and he can hear things rustling in the leaves behind him and it is very scary and all but and when he looks back in the tunnel there's like a child's hand reaching out for him mm-hmm. and he's completely freaked out and then he hears a thump and it's the thump of a chunk of snow hitting the ground at once and he turns and one of the topiary dogs doesn't have snow on its head anymore and he wasn't afraid of them initially even yeah. dick had warned him because they were all covered in snow anyway so this is a really bad moment for Danny. And he's in those snowshoes, so he can mm-hmm. only go so this, fast. Yeah, and this is the section that made me realize, made me understand a little more about how Jack and Wendy could lie to themselves and each other and think that this was the best course of action to stay. Like how they let that happen. Mm-hmm. Because Danny trying to run away from the topiary animals as he's using his snowshoes and he's panicked and so he's not doing it well so he can't move very quickly and then he stumbles and gets snow in his face and he can't see he's got very short legs yeah it made it made me realize really how dangerous it is for them to leave too yeah like mm. we don't get winters like that here so mm. but as there's one reference in the first part to 20 feet of snow yeah 
So this was very like claustrophobic and, and difficult to read because he he's running as fast as he can in the snowshoes and he finally gets to the front porch because he'd gone out the other way and collapses on it and then feels something grab his leg and break the fabric in the skin. Just the sad, the whoosh sound he hears and then feels cold air on his calf. Like, ah, it's mm-hmm. so fucking scary. The, the fact that the, the last time he looks back, the lion is five, five feet. feet away. Yeah, that was horrible. And, and down, like, crouched to pouts. Mm-hmm. Like, so scary. He just lays there and eventually, we don't quite know how long it takes, but Jack and Wendy come racing out of the front door and find him. And he tells them everything that happened except for the dead kid possibly in that tunnel. And the problem is that Jack doesn't believe him. And so he's trying to, he's like, you know, get over here and look out this window with me. What do you see? And Danny's like, I know what I'm going to see because they go back to their original positions. And Wendy's getting upset because Jack's being a dick and he's interrogating him. And he's like, I just want him to know that it's safe. He needs to see this and face this, which isn't true. Like Mm -hmm. on the surface, it's a pretty good explanation and danny realizes something in that moment this is brutal because in this moment my favorite part is we we skipped over this short bit i don't know where in the book it was but jack tells this story of when he was a kid he was going to church and a nun brought out a picture that is just black and white splotches. And she'd put it on an easel and said, okay, kids, what is this? And they stared at it for a while until one kid goes, oh my God, oh my, it's Jesus. And slowly, one by one, get a each kid would get a reward uh, when they finally saw that this this optical illusion resolves into Jesus's face and Jack cannot see it and eventually lies and says he sees it but secretly deep down thinks that he is the worst sinner in the world and that is why jesus is and it becomes this whole it's a fascinating story i love that but the way that danny suddenly sees mm -hmm. this reminds me of that so badly yeah because jack sees yeah. The Jesus before he leaves. Yeah, because he he swears at it. He stays after all the kids have left and swears like fuck you, uh, hellfire. There's mm-hmm. no and as he's turning to look away, he sees it out of the corner of mm-hmm. his eye. And so that that I got that feeling out of this where Danny just not out of actually understanding, but he just catches this glimpse off of his dad and suddenly realizes, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm telling the truth. You've seen them. And Jack slaps him across the face. Before he can finish the sentence, the dad, he's like, dad, you saw, bam! And it's it's so shocking to read. This is the moment that I believe Jack Torrance becomes uh, completely lost, unforgivable. Yep. Um, I, I think this is the moment where he mm-hmm. is uh, completely damned. Because Wendy calls him a bastard, and, and they're talking about that later, because she's like, you're upset at me because I called you a bastard. Fine, I'm sorry I called you a bastard, but you had no right to hit him. And he said, I know I didn't. And she said, you promised you would never hurt him again. And he's, he ends that conversation like, I always thought I could keep my promises. <laughs> now, th- this is a, a weird, we've spent a lot of time going uh, back on these weird, this void theory I have. But I could you could argue that that slap that the Overlook slapped Danny no. on behalf nope. of Jack <laughs> no, to get him is, to not I finish the sentence. Will, that is, and this is the ultimate point that I was going to get into, uh, but uh, no, 
fuck that. That the the idea of there's the real Jack who really wants the best for his family. And then there's the overlook that does all of the violence. Well, that's not that true. is dismissing the responsibility, refusing to take any responsibility for his actions. Fuck that. Jack is the one who is violent. The entire book, he has been a violent person. Saying, oh, something changed once he came to the Overlook. Sure, something did. There are ghosts. Fine. But no, it is not the Overlook doing this violence. This is the Overlook seeing that this guy will do violence and going, hey, you should fucking do some violence. That's, That's a really good point. It makes me mad. I got, <laughs> I got mad reading most of the end mm-hmm. of this book. It's astoundingly good. Yeah. It's so funny. I can't, I, I can't stress that enough. Like, I'm angry at this character, <laughs> and that just puts into, you know, like, I feel like that should say how deeply I love this book. So the Overlook did not almost give Wendy a titty twister. Correct. No. Okay, yes. cool. I just wanted to make sure I knew where we all landed on that. <laughs> we finally get some elevator stuff. Finally, elevator Which, uh, stuff. In, in a, why? Why this way? Why do you have to ruin all of my safe moments? Book? <laughs> they are woken up in the middle of the night by the sound of the elevator moving. And Jack's like, oh, it's just the elevator, guys. And mm. Wendy's like, what the hell do you mean it is just the elevator? That who's running the elevator, Jack? And she's like, it's probably a malfunction. I'm going to go check it. She doesn't want him to. And he's again like, shut up. It's my job. I'm the caretaker. God damn it. Yeah. So Wendy and Danny go with him, though, because they don't. I wouldn't want to be alone in that place at all. Unless you're Jack, of course. Everyone Mm. else thinks it's unbearable. So they get to the elevator and let's just talk about what Jack does. Because I was trying. I was like, what is happening here until the very end of it? (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so bizarre his behavior in this moment. Jack uh, breaks the emergency glass to get the key that will stop the elevator, and he turns it and it locks into place, but it's between floors. And he pulls it open and he looks inside. It's too high for either Wendy or Danny to see inside, but he looks inside and he's like, nothing. And meanwhile, the word party jumps into Wendy's head mm-hmm. and she just as though she is experiencing a memory for a moment and she just that instinct. She's like, I don't trust it. And she fucking jumps up and pulls herself over this dangling chasm into the elevator and they're watching and she's gone for a second. And then she comes out with like confetti and shit. And she's like, yeah. Nothing in here. What the fuck? Uh, not how I expect. Uh, I'm glad it didn't go the way yeah. I hoped. Oh, did you think she was going to gotta, go? Gotta say, getting cut in half yeah. by an elevator? <laughs> one of my greatest fears. Good to know. Completely unreasonable. But every time I step on an elevator, you better believe it's going through my head. <laughs> Don't Google that ever. No, I'm not going to. There are videos of it yep. happening. Gross. Always take the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> So we leave this and we cut forward a little bit to December 1st. And for some reason, Danny is by himself in the ballroom, standing on a chair, looking at a fancy clock. And he thinks, okay, I've figured out safe places and unsafe places of the Overlook. So I'm just going to stay in the safe places. And he's also thinking about how he's probably not supposed to touch this fancy clock. 
But it certainly touched him. He <laughs> right. wasn't very careful. He has it's I just love like that so much. such a yeah. Oh it's gosh. it's such an amazing moment of like rebellion, mm-hmm. like little kid rebellion. Yeah. It makes Danny such it, it rounds out his character so well. Mm-hmm. I love it. So he there's this key to wind it up. So he inserts the key and is this a sexy clock or is the hotel fucking with him? That is a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I do not know the okay. answer to it. Because yeah, he he winds it up and, and sets it to midnight, and two little two little figures come out and then start sixty nine. Well, they did. They're, they're um, ballerinas first. Yeah, his, yeah. And then they do some dances, and then yeah, and he says he, he they're he kissing re- peepees. <laughs> it made him feel sick. I want that clock. That's right. Oh, so he has a moment kind of like Jack in the lounge where he feels, he senses people behind him. But when he looks, it's empty. And he thinks, except it wasn't really empty because the overlook, things just go on and on here. Time, all time is one time. There's an endless night in August of 1945, a party. There's also happening at the same time, June, some 20 years later, there's gunfire people died in a room on the second floor there's a woman in a bathtub waiting for visitors Uh, so broke my heart a little bit when danny thinks of tony having tried to warn him and then he he screams out i'm just five (laughs) it's so doesn't it matter that i'm only five yeah he's trying (laughs) oh it's just so big it's It's such a such a big thing for danny he's trying to talk to tony again Seems like he's still not there. When it happens, Danny falls into one of his trances and he finds himself in the hallway by the presidential suite. And you can hear the sounds of the rope mallet making its path along the walls. And he's he's at this this dead end and the the vision shows him Dick Halloran. And that's mm-hmm. when he realizes there is someone out there that can help. And Tony hears and says that they won't let him come anymore and that he needs to call dick because that's the only help he's gonna get and he sees their apartment room all torn up uh there is a body in the bathtub and it's bleeding and he sees red rum written on the mirror which he then sees reflected finally revealing what it means and he also sees a clock and the date on the clock is 12 Two. And Danny wakes up. Day. Danny wakes up on the bathroom floor and screams in his head for Dick as loud as he can. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking child that I we love. Children. <laughs> See, that's uh, at the beginning of yeah. the episode. I said he shines, he shines for Dick. <laughs> It is really funny in the like the audiobook here. Just this person yell, Dick! I need Dick! Over and over. It's really funny if it weren't so scary. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be finishing the book, Ben. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, this is Joshua Kahn reminding you, now you'll take your medicine. Thank you.
Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Shining Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Don't forget to check our Patreon page, patreon.com slash dairypublicradio, for bonus episodes and early release episodes. And thank you to everyone who came out for our tapping of Room 217 with Nerdspeak Brewery. If you haven't tried our amazing brew yet, make sure to get down and get your can before they're all gone. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.